future, talk radio will actually educate, inspire, and make you think. The future is now. Topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. And most poor suckers are starving to death. I'd like to propose a toast. This is On the Rocks with Alexander, coming at you from Sunset Gower Studios in the heart of Hollywood, where I drink with your favorite celebrities and we talk about fashion, entertainment, pop culture, reality TV, and, and that's about it. So pop a court, pour a glass, lean back, and enjoy On the Rocks every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Universal Broadcasting Network. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Oh, Lord have mercy. It's going to be a bumpy, bumpy night. We have so much talent in this room. Yes, we do. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, some lady gentlemen and some gentlemanly ladies, I am your host for tonight's ceremony. What kind of ceremony? I don't, I, I don't know yet. Paul's looking at me like, what is happening? <laughs> um, as always, I'm accompanied by my uh, right-hand man, my engineer, Kurt Carlson. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? You know what? I'm okay. I'm just so damn hot. It is so hot. Like, my oh, Latino yeah. collar is melting off as I speak. It, it's, it shouldn't be this hot. No. This is ridiculous. <sighs> Uh, and, you know, I have a few curves on me. It makes it tougher for us uh, Rubenesque people. <laughs> it, just, it just slides right off, right? Or... Excuse me! <laughs> I love when skinny people comment on heavy people. It makes me so happy. Do you have a pun for us, Kurt? Uh, Gotta uh, give Kurt his, his of, time of the show. Of course I do. All uh, right. So, uh, Mr. Dooley, I want to apologize for this in advance. <laughs> so the, the past, the present, and the future walk into a bar, Oh, right? God, uh-huh. Boy, was it tense. <laughs> And then you give yourself applause. He never gives me any applause or anything. Okay, Kurt, that was that was a little more than I could handle. <laughs> uh, to our new listeners, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at On The Rocks On Air and Facebook and the web at On The Rocks Radio Show. Also, I want to give a shout out to our new audience. We are now syndicated on Player FM, which is online. And it's also, it's the best app for Android. So if you have an Android, um, you can throw it on your, com or your Chromecast TV, on your uh, watch, in your car. We're everywhere you want to be. And some places you don't want us to be, we're there. <laughs> Huge thank you to our sponsors. Of course, Rocks Vodka. We went through two bottles last week. And then we had another bottle after the show. Boop! We had Kiki Epson, Epson Buddy Epson's daughter. Oh. She loved her vodka. Anyway, uh, thank you, Rocks Vodka, all the time. Uh, every week, you make us uh, <laughs> you make us quite happy. Also, Epicta, uh, for web design, mobile app design, and uh, logo design. They're affordable. They're in L.A., but they can help you everywhere. Uh, Glitterati Tours, which we're going to talk about. And, of course, Stan, your favorite, Spunk Lube. And how many did you go through <laughs> last week on that? Uh, excuse me. Hey, hey. We have a Hollywood like legend here. We cannot I'm, talk about Spunk Lube. <laughs> I think he's talked about other things in the past. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Spunk Lube, they just won some big award uh, for Lube of the Year. Can you imagine what that plaque is like? Who are the losers, I want to know? <laughs> the loser lubes? I don't know, but I, I'm, I will and why are they losers? I know. What What makes a good lube? I don't even know. I can't I'll, believe we're I'll, even having this discussion I'll right pass now. on that question. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so thank you to our sponsors. So let me introduce our guest co-host returning yet again. Yet again. Mr. Stan Zimmerman. I'm just walking down Sunset and Gower and... Drag me in once oh, again. Oh, yes. Yeah. You love it. You love it. I do love it. Thank um, you for you having me back. And you wore a very appropriate I did shirt. Wear, uh, student, an acting student of mine gave me this uh, Blanche 
and Golden Girls shirt because Mr. Paul Dooley and I have a connection and that we both worked on Golden Girls. That's right. Actually at Sunset Gower Studios. Boom! Center. Full circle. How do you like this that? This is how you sir? do it. How about that? I love it. <laughs> Serendipity. Yes. Serendipity. I've never worked with him. I would, of course, die to work with this gentleman because I've enjoyed so many of your wonderful performances for so many years. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Yeah. He's a little busy. <laughs> I know him. You're doing a fringe show now. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Okay. We're going to talk about okay. all of that. Okay. Um, but so glad to have you back. Have Thank you, you. Have you visited the set of Gilmore Girls anymore? Are, have they finished filming? They did finish filming. Oh, they did? Yes. Did but you I get went to go to the rap party? Time. No, I was out of town. You, Sorry. I was did in you get New invited? York. Yes, of course. I should have showed up with glass yes. and be like, I'm Stan Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, that'll work, yes. <laughs> Thrown off the Warner Brothers lot. Um, for our listeners that are not familiar with Stan Zimmerman, writer, producer, Golden Girls, Gilmore Girls, Roseanne. Anything with girls. Anything with Except girls. Except girls. Except girls. I would love to write for girls. They need something to pick them oh, up. Oh, come on now. The last season? Sometimes. Okay. All right. Lena Dunham was actually wandering around the studio uh, about a Drunk. month ago. yes. Okay. No, don't. <laughs> I was like, hey, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so so glad. And Skirt Chasers, your last uh, web series, the final episode dropped on telefilms.com, right? Is it dropped? Is it streaming? What is it? What's the official it's, term? I don't know. I'm going to say streaming. Dropping. I, I like just to say drop. Really? It's like mic drop. Like, boom. Okay. Drop album. Boom. It did. Boom. So now you can binge watch all five uh, episodes uh, on telefilms.com. The great Barry Bostwick. Have you ever worked with Barry? No, but I know who he is. Okay, oh, there yes. you go. And Meredith Baxter and Elizabeth Keener, who now you two are madly in love. We are besties. I'm, I feel like the matchmaker there. <laughs> yes, yes I love it's that. kismet. I love Yenta. Keener. She is hilarious. Yes, she's fantastic and gorgeous. Yes, and I just wish it was, you know, things worked th- a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you two can be fluid. I don't know how you're working. Spunkloop.com. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> My other guest co-host, this is your first time on the show. He's scared now. And I'm proud to say, not only uh, amazing personality, uh, but you are also owner of Glitterati Tours, which is one of our returning sponsors, very happy to announce. Thank you so much. Jimmy McGill. Glad to be here, Alex. Thank you. So, because your name, Jimmy McGill, it's like, Jimmy McGill, what are you doing? Well, it's also uh, Better Call Saul. Oh, yes. Yeah. But I, th- I wanted you to walk in like a little leprechaun beard and like maybe like a wooden cane. And you clearly are not a leprechaun. <laughs> I didn't walk in that way, but I'll walk out that yeah, way. Yeah, one more, <laughs> one more bottle. And yeah. you know. <laughs> are you Irish? Uh, you know, I went to Ireland and we looked up our name. <laughs> Couldn't find it. So I think I'm Miguel? more Scottish. Miguel. That's like Trump. I went to Ireland, so I'm Irish. Yes, right. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> but we, we looked up our name. Everybody yeah. wants to come home with a plaque or something right. with your name on it. We couldn't find it anywhere. So we just. You can order one online. <laughs> or a t shirt. Yeah, along with your Phoenix yeah. University uh, diploma. <laughs> one for all. Um, so we're going to talk about Glitterati Tours, but I also wanted to introduce the star of the evening, a very special evening, with veteran actor Mr. Paul Dooley. So Please, I just uh, keep your seats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard that crowd. <laughs> At least you got the applause. That's, I, I, I get crickets is what I get. <laughs> Are you kidding right now, Kurt? Uh, just a mini bio because I could, there's pages and pages. Like if you go to your IMDb, like IMDb is like you have to wait for us to load these pages. There's so many credits. You'll have a stroke when you go there. Yes, well, I have a stroke after after every weekend. Anyway, uh, 16 Candles, Popeye, Waiting for Guffman, Cars, uh, Hairspray, uh, Insomnia with Al Pacino, TV, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Practice, which of course you got your second Emmy nomination for, Deep Space Nine, Desperate Housewives. Breaking Away, come on. Breaking Away. Huge. 
uh, Golden Girls, Get Smart and Bewitched, which I didn't know. In fact, we have a picture of you from Get Smart. <laughs> and you look very smart. You are Hollywood's favorite father. You've been father to Julia Roberts, Molly Ringwald, Mia Farrow, Tony Collette, Helen Hunt, Christina Applegate, Terry Hatcher, Philip Seymour Hoffman, just to name a few. Yeah, most of them girls, actually. Boom. Uh, Seymour, Philip Seymour was... Uh, about 16, he played my son. I was a, a kind of a redneck bigot. Uh-huh. And he was my son. He was the school bully. And uh, we didn't have scenes together. But I came into a room, and, and in a kind of a disturbance at school, someone had buried an axe in his head. Oh. So he was dead. Oh, he was dead. In that scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> I came in, oh, my son, my son, where's my son? And the greatest line, one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in a movie was delivered by Austin Pendleton, who played... Uh, uh, the mad professor, the mad doctor. I come in and say, oh, my God. And and, he, and I say, uh, doctor, doctor. And he says, well, he's not doing as well as we had thought he might. <laughs> and he's got an axe sticking in his head. And I said, what do you mean not doing as well, you idiot? He's dead. And he says, everyone's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Philip Seymour Hoffman was going to be as talented? Uh, well, it was hard to tell. Yeah. If I'd known, I would have been much nicer to him. <laughs> Um, we have so much to talk about. Um, and is that difficult playing a bigot or somebody that may not be your political persuasion, so to speak? It's all acting. Mm. There you go. People play killers mm. and they're not killers. <laughs> you know, mm. it's really just acting. I mean, I got typed as a father, but uh, I welcome it once in a while when I'm playing a guy who's a, a prick or something. You know? <laughs> or being probed by aliens and waiting for government, which is one of my yeah. favorite characters. Anyway, <laughs> what I was doing playing a bigot was to really make fun of the bigots, you know, the rednecks. I had a hunting jacket with bullets and, you know, with uh, <laughs> hunting uh, cartridges and carried a gun and a, one of those checked caps that are red and black, you know, very much the redneck. But I'm just doing a parody, really. That's uh, Bobby Balaban directed that. Movie. Oh, he did? It was called uh, My Boyfriend's Back. Oh. It was about a zombie, who a kid who dies. He's 16. He comes back to life to go to the prom. It's, it's quite a funny movie. Now, is Bob Balaban, uh, is, is he a good director? Because he's so reserved when he's on camera. He plays that type so, so he well. He is a good director. Uh, the first time I knew him, I worked with him in a, in a play off Broadway. And... Uh, uh, then later, he, he directed two or three films. One was about cannibalism, with Mary Beth Hurt was in it. And it's a long time ago, but he's a good director. Parents? Didn't he direct something called Parents, I think? Uh, it might have yeah, been yeah, called yeah, Parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he did uh, two or three films. And he's an amazing guy. He's in everything. He knows everyone. I used to go to his party sometimes, and we were all kind of all unknowns, including Bob. But there was always big stars there. Sarandon was there, and... Uh, and uh, uh, Richard Dreyfus and those who were playing charades. With the, oh my God, can you imagine playing <laughs> He always knew a lot of really big people somehow. He was just well-connected. This was in you New know, York? He, yeah, yes. New York. You know, the, you may know about the history of Hollywood. His relatives were big, big people. The Barnaban, uh, Balaban and Katz was a chain of vaudeville theaters and, and movie theaters. I had no clue. Had an uncle or great uncle who was called Barney Balaban, was a producer of Hollywood movies. So the whole family mm. goes way back. He's a great guy. I love him. Awesome. <laughs> and he, and, I, I could like, talk about all these stories. And of course he did all those Chris Guest movies. Oh, yes. Every single one of them. Yep, 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 yep. And what were you thinking when you would go invited to these parties and all these famous people? Did you, you uh, gawker? It was pretty thrilling. I was once on a plane, and I happened to be sitting next to Sarandon, and nobody knew who I was, including her. 
but we were talking about acting, and, and I said, I'd been at Second City, and she says, we're doing a, an evening, we do once a week just for laughs down at the public theater, uh, and you want to come down sometimes. So I go there, and it's Richard Dreyfus and all these great people, <laughs> and I'm the only one nobody ever heard of. Uh, but it was great fun, yeah. And would that scare you, or did you have fear? No, no, because okay? once you've worked in Second City, it gives you such confidence, you know, you're never nervous about being in a play, because... Actually, you hope some mistake will happen in a play because right. then you can improvise. And I, I was in, uh, I wasn't in Chicago, but when the original company moved to New York, I, I joined them. Alan Arkin was one of them, Barbara Harris, and all these great people. Oh, she was great, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, and I, and I learned uh, a great deal from them. And I just uh, became a part of their group, and they're the original people. And in my show, which I'm doing now at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, I talk about that, and I... I show pictures of the original company, and uh, and then I also show a scene I did in Second City about a three-minute uh, improvise. It was originally improvised with Arkin and myself, and then he left, and a guy named Bob Dishy took the part. Wow. And it's a, a whole pantomime scene with a dentist and his patient with no dialogue. But I was very influenced by Chaplin and Keaton, especially Buster Keaton. So in a funny way, even though there, there were no silent movies anymore, I really just wish I could do that. You know, so I was very attracted to physical comedy. So would you go to these movies as a young kid? Well, yeah. a friend of mine, I was a poor kid, but this friend of mine in high school, he had a rich family, and he had his own 8-millimeter camera and projector and a record collection and all that. So he showed me on a screen about, I don't know, seven inches wide, a little 8-millimeter screen of rented things from a Chicago company, and uh, I saw the first Chaplins and Keatons and... W.C. Fields and Laurel and Hardy and tremendous education because even though we've come a million miles from then, those are some of the greatest artists that ever existed and many times without words, mm -hmm. you know. And the whole foundation of comedy. In fact, when you were a kid, you would listen to uh, all the radio shows because you didn't have a television, right? Yeah. Well, no one had television, anyone <laughs> at all. It hadn't been invented. This was the 40s we're talking about. Yeah, I heard Bob Hope and Jack Benny and people like that, George Burns and Gracie Allen. And even Red Skelton had a show, and Jimmy Durante had a show. And I fell in love with the jokes, and I've kind of been a maven ever since. And in fact, I can't, I can't get them out of my head. I've got thousands of jokes. And when you said something about his pun, it reminds me that it's one of the favorite <laughs> things I do, you know, making lines like that. I, I say things probably, you know, 20 times a day to my wife, who was also very witty, the coin of the realm at our breakfast table is just making each other laugh with very minor jokes. But I said to her once, uh, just recently, um, she knows that I, you don't think of this about actors, but I have low self-esteem because you think you're... <laughs> if never, you, never, yeah. No, if you, <laughs> but if you can get in front of a thousand people or uh, 500 people, how could you have low self-esteem? Well, that's why we're hiding behind other characters. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you know enough about show business to know that many actors are shy and so I said to my, you know, I have low self-esteem, but you know, when I want to relax, I, I take a nice slow self-esteem bath. <laughs> so she said, put that in your show. So I found a place for it in my show. What I love about your career is that there's there's so many facets from uh, creating and being head writer for the electric company. Uh, you were a stand-up comedian, but in your youth, you actually paneled uh, uh, a comic strip. Uh, but it was mostly in my first of my hometown. Uh, paper and my high school paper and my college humor magazine and I never was one of those New York guys. One just wanted to be a New Yorker cartoonist. That's the <laughs> acme. That's the top of the game if you're a New Yorker cartoonist. 
Uh, right now, my wife and I are friends with Roz Chast, who is in The New Yorker every week, and uh, Bruce Eric Kaplan, B-E-K, who is in there every week. And uh, that's such a thrill for me. And then when I got to play Wimpy, who's a comic strip character in right. Popeye, that was coming full circle because as a kid dying to be a, a comic strip artist, I'm reading about Popeye. And some of the stories, which Jules Pfeiffer, himself a cartoonist, he did the uh, screenplay. Actually, I remember reading it. Popeye couldn't find his father. So for a year in the comic strip, he's looking for his father. And when he finds him, they look exactly alike. And Pfeiffer put it into the, into the movie where he says, use me, use me pappies. And I ain't nobody's pappy. He says, well, look at the same bulgy arms. What bulgy arms? <laughs> same squinky eye. What squeaky yeah. eye? Except for a kind of a white... Uh, Stubble beard, poop deck pappy, and Popeye look exactly alike. <laughs> Is that where you met Robert Altman on Popeye? Uh, no, I met him before that on a movie called uh, A Wedding, where I was a husband. Uh, Carol Burnett was my wife, and Mia Farrow was our daughter, and there were, had 50 actors in it, all kinds of people. L Lillian Gish was in it, Geraldine Chaplin was mm -hmm. in it. I mean, what Dina was that Merrill, set like? Dina Merrill, Pam Dauber, tons of people. Paul Newman's daughter was in it. Everybody, Pat McCormick, it was just a great, great And does thing. he have scripts, or how much is improvised with his movies? Well, a lot of his movies do have scripts, and then there's a lot of freedom in it. But Wedding, uh, really, they would deliver the lines to us two days earlier for what was coming. So although we knew it wouldn't be hard to figure out the plot because it was a wedding and a reception, <laughs> it all takes place in one day. We did two days in the church and the rest of the time in a mansion on the lake just north of Chicago. Uh, so we didn't have to know what was going to happen. You know, we would do three days in the in the cake room, and three days in the gift room, and three days in the dance part, and and so it just unfolded like that. And most of the actors were loose enough that they learned their lines. And and uh, if you wanted to improvise, he said fine. And if he didn't like it, he said I'll cut it out. You know, he said he could always control it in the editing. And most of them didn't even have any improv experience in terms of having studied or done it in front of audiences. But every actor can do it somewhat, and uh, Bob just takes out what he doesn't want. But he likes he likes to have uh, lucky accidents. He kinds of uh, I told an audience once when I went to an award thing to go for him because he didn't want to go as Chicago film critics. I said to him, Bob is the guy who likes like an artist who likes to make paintings of found objects like uh, driftwood and things on the beach. Bob does the same thing with actors I know because I was one of his found mm -hmm. objects. And for laughs, I said, if it wasn't for Bob, I wouldn't have a film career. I'd probably now be working off-Broadway doing the gin game with Ruth Buzzy. <laughs> She's a great actress, by the she way. She is. Yeah. But I used to her because she said, least likely <laughs> person to be in the gin game. And do you see a connection from like uh, Altman to Christopher Guest in that? Um, well, kind of, of course, Christopher uh, Guest really allows you to do all the dialogue provides, and so does Larry David. Mm -hmm. But I knew, before I ever met Altman, I knew... Uh, Christopher Guest as a 17-year-old because his mother was my agent. God, oh, what a God. small world. Yeah. That is so funny. When I joined Second City, I said to Arkin, he said, you have an agent? I said, no, not really. He says, come and meet my agent, and you know she'll probably sign you up. And that's what happened. So I was with them for a while. Then I did William Morris and everybody else. I see him. You, know, you drift around. You slept around in this town, like everyone else. Slept my way to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, A Wedding, that was like your really big uh, film role, right? Not only was it a really big film role, I was 49 years old before I made a film. <laughs> and since then, I've made so many that it seems like it's been forever. But my whole career was either stage or doing a million commercials right. before I met Altman. 
he saw me in an off-Broadway uh, thing where we're playing comic strip characters done by Jules Pfeiffer, the cartoonist. And he put me in about five movies in a row, and then most people in Hollywood had, had the idea that I could be in the movies, and that's really how it all happened. I teach actors, so what would you say to them when they have those struggles about believing if they could go on? Because obviously you had to keep believing in yourself. <laughs> At 49, it's like, okay, now you've made it. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, in my show, I tell the audience... Uh, after 25 years as a New York actor, overnight I was in the movies. <laughs> now I would just say, you know, stay, hang in there, and you know, have faith. And a lot of actors don't have any other skills, you know, <laughs> anything else they can do or want to do. They sometimes become writers or directors and playwrights, whatever. But I didn't know anything else I could do, and so luckily I just hoped my work would get me work. How were the first few days on the set of a wedding? Because I mean, you're you're put right next to Carol Burnett, you know, playing playing your wife with Mia Farrow. You know, these yeah. such an eclectic uh, group of characters. Lillian Gish, like I said, do you remember what it was like your very first day of filming? Your nerves, or how, how did you even handle that? Were you starstruck? Oddly enough, I'm not too nervous when I'm acting because <laughs> acting is home to me, mm. and being on the stage is the place I want to be. I know hundreds of actors are very nervous, and some yeah. people just get sick before the show. But it's never been my temperament to, to be like that. And for me, because I knew Carol Burnett before she became Carol Burnett, then it was easy because, you know, here we are doing a lot of scenes together. How did you know her? Well, she came to New York. She's quite young. She didn't finish, finish college. You may know that whole story she tells where some anonymous benefactor gave her $1,000 mm -hmm. and said, just pass it on. You know, That you was know. you? No, no. <laughs> but she got to New York, and she uh, 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 somehow she got with William Morris. But she was living in that famous rehearsal hall. They made the movie about those girls that lived together in the mm -hmm. in the rehearsal hall. That's a famous uh, a place where men weren't allowed upstairs. Stage door. Stage, yeah. yeah, I think it was stage mm -hmm. door. Yeah, and Ros Russell. Right. I don't know. Everybody was in it. Ginger Rogers. And she stayed there. And as a matter of fact, she said to the, all these other girls auditioning, says, we're not getting anywhere. Let's put on a show here at the, the club. And they invited agents. And, uh, and of course, she was the big star. I mean, she's so talented. That's when she got with William Morris. So uh, she got this job in a resort up in uh, uh, northern New York near the Adirondacks, a famous place where they do original reviews all the time with singing, dancing, and sketches. And I was there. And to give you an idea of how great this place is, the staff lyricist there all summer was Sheldon Arnick. Oh, my God. Who wrote Fiddler. <laughs> yes. I just met him. And then, he, he just won yeah. a Tony, too, yeah, yeah. right? When I was the, back in New York. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, I think they revived She Loves Me. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, so he did just win the Tony. Yeah. And, and he could be living on Fiddler the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. It's With all every production there. from kindergarten <laughs> to every college to... Yes. And you know, when it was done in Japanese, the Japanese said, how did he know so much about Japanese culture? <laughs> but it's, of course, all Jewish. But then again, it's tradition. many things are tradition. Yes. They have big traditions. And there. Fam Jews, family. And father and yeah. family. And uh, he's a very, very sweet guy. A, a little known thing, even to me, because I knew Elaine May and, and Sheldon. And at one point, I'm on the street walking. I meet the two of them together. I say, hey, hi, how you doing? So I know them from other things. And then I found out a week later they were married briefly. And uh, that's not something most people Who? know. Elaine May and Sheldon Harney? And Sheldon Harney. Oh, yeah. my God. Just briefly. <laughs> Can you imagine that wedding party? <laughs> Talk I'm, about a wedding. <laughs> I'm sure they admired each other. Right. And they got along and everything. But you just don't picture them in the same, in the same uh, marriage. I <laughs> but, was just uh, thinking Nichols and May. 
Yeah. And you were lucky enough to work with Mike. I worked Nichols. with Mike and the Odd Couple. Right. Directed me. Andy Lane directed me in a play she wrote. And I was directed on stage by Alan Arkin, too. So that was fun because I knew him, had worked with him. But I've had a checkered career. But you know, I was really, really only a success in the commercial business before I found, uh, before I got, met Bob, Alt Bob Altman. I mean, uh, nowadays if a person has two or three commercials a year that's kind of acted, I would do 15 wow. on-camera, Class A, network TV commercials every year for 10 years. And another uh, 200 voiceovers and 1,000 radio commercials over a 10-year period. And so I was just, you know, really well-known in that end of it. Well, you even had your own company. Yeah, yeah. We created uh, humorous radio spots. Two partners from Second City, you know, we got tired of improving everyone's radio commercials by inventing endings or putting jokes in it. <laughs> yeah. So, look, just give us what you want to sell about the thing, and we'll make the story, and we'll make it funny, and pay us more money. So they did. And that, that could have been your whole career. Also, when yeah. you were the head writer and co-creator of The Electric Company, that could have been your whole career. Yeah, it ran seven years, but I, after a year, I went back. I wanted to go back to acting. And besides, when you create a show, as you guys may know, the fun is the creation and the maintenance is not yes. exactly as much yes. fun. Yes. Then it becomes like a factory job. You yes. go there and you do it every day. Um, so uh, I was happy to leave and go on to other things. But luckily, uh, all the characters I created in the beginning uh, became uh, continuing characters on the show. And, and oddly enough, uh, talking about your engineer, as I created some of these sketches, I didn't know in advance they would be running characters, like every week or every other week. But they were all pun names. I named a guy who was a <laughs> word detective, Fargo North, decoder, right? And uh, a child chef named Julia Grownup. <laughs> and all these characters are created in these sketches. The producers said, no, we'll make these continuing things that go on and on forever, you know. And that's why you're so rich, right? <laughs> no, I made no money there. They didn't belong to the guild. Your first mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the money was put up a lot of it by the government. Right. And uh, public television. And I knew out here a head writer even then might have been making ten or fifteen grand. I made seven hundred and fifty dollars a week. Oh wow. For doing a show. You know, I heard hundred and thirty episodes a year. But you changed children and America forever. <laughs> well I I say in my show that after doing all these commercials just to sell stuff, it's finally using my talent for good instead of evil. <laughs> and I felt that way. I felt if I could just help in some small way by uh, finding inventive ways to get them to pay attention. We were trying to reach children who probably wouldn't under normal circumstances learn to read. Inner city kids, that's why uh, Cosby donated his time and Rita Moreno for their particular groups. Uh, so kids who might not want to go to school, couldn't attend, uh, maybe they were on, uh, they didn't have their proper nutrition, maybe they had parents who, you know, who knows. Could or be. even a language barrier, too. Absolutely. And so our idea was sort of like what a good commercial is. They entertain you first, and then while you're listening, they sneak in. The, yes. And that's exactly what I would try to do in these, in these sketches, you know. But it was very fulfilling. I, I felt great about it. Let's talk about The Odd Couple, because you were originally cast as one of the poker buddies. Yes. Um, and then you took over the role, and then you played opposite Walter Matthau on Broadway. Yeah, I was doing Felix. Uh, Art Carney was the original. Yeah. And Art, I was his understudy, so I would frequently go on when he And would... you would poison his, his, his tea. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever he missed a show, I would go on. So I had a lot of experience. And then once he just left altogether and never came back. You know, it was rather mysterious, actually, but... Uh, 
He was jealous of your boogie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And in real life, would you be an Oscar or a Felix? That's a good question. If we went to your house. My agent said to me, you, you're going to play the speed, the guy in the poker game. You can understudy either uh, Mathau or Carney. And I thought, well, I guess I might be more like a Mathau type. She says, take my word, understudy Carney. I said, okay. Turns out, uh, it's, it's not a secret really, but Art was a drinker. And so he had missed performances. Well, in a year's time when I was there, Matha never missed a performance. <laughs> and Art missed, you know, 20, 30 times before I even took over and played Felix for a while. And who was his understudy? Uh, Art? No, uh, Ma- Matha. An actor named Lou Zorich who never you went see? on. You could be Lou or yeah. you could be Paul Dooley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he never went Lou on. Lou is somewhere right now. He's like, ah, oh, damn you, Paul Dooley. <laughs> drinking drinking like Carney. Yeah. Yeah. He's a wonderful <laughs> character actor. Yeah. And uh, he's married to... Uh, Oh, goodness, I forget the name. Oh, Olympia Dukakis. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I think he did okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he did all right. And they have a big theater company, don't they? In they New did Jersey. over in New Jersey. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. But he never got to play it. Oh. And, uh, you know, we'd rehearse when we were the understudies on Saturdays between shows. We'd run the lines to make sure we were up on them. But he never went on. And I went on all the time. So my agent was right, understudying the other guy. And Walter Matthau lo- loved you. Well, there's a story about this. <laughs> the first time I did it, uh, I got a call the next day from William Morris. I tell this story a lot. And they said, Mathau, Walter Mathau's our client. He told us you went on last night to replace um, um, Art, um, Art Carney. And you not only remember all the lines, but you get all the laughs. And he thinks you did a great job and you have a future as an actor. And they said to me, the William Morris agent, uh, we were wondering if you had representation. I said, as it turns out, I do. He says, well, who are you with? And I said, you guys. <laughs> oh, God. I was already a client. <laughs> but they had 40 agents. You know, they were huge. They were the only, they were the biggest thing in, in the world since 100 years. But, you know, he has an agent who's on the top level, and my agent's probably just beginning. <laughs> they, didn't even, they didn't even know I was a client, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Three Penny Opera. Uh, John Astin, Charlotte Ray, and B. Arthur. Yeah. Uh, such an exciting production. It was. And also Lottie Lenya, who is the widow of Kurt Weil, who wrote it. And she'd played it when she was about 25 in Germany, even made a film. And then she came over here, and now she's like 55 or 60 playing the same role, the, the prostitute. But she's great, a great singer, a great performer. And, of course, uh, Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht, who, who did the book and all that, uh, they didn't want uh, singers. They wanted actors who right. sang. Right, exactly. And it, they it didn't has want to work it to, that way. They didn't want it to be perfect. Yep. And the band sounded dissonant. There were four instruments, a clavichord and a cornet, and it was just... Weird music. It's very kind of dissonant sounding. And he wanted the acting to be sort of like that. It was about thieves and prostitutes and crooks, you know. But it's been a great thing. It's been revived, you know, four or five times. I saw Sting do it, Raul Julia. I saw that one, Raul Julia. Mac the Knife. uh, But it was so much, so exciting to be in it. But I left it after four months and ran seven years to go be with Carol Burnett in the mountains. So you and Carl Burnett could do Gin Game. <laughs> Throw Ruth Buzzy. Now oh, we could. yeah, now we got the now show. We could. Yeah, yeah, nah. She'd probably do it with Tim Conway or Harvey. 
Not Harvey but anymore. But, uh, what was it like uh, being in a show with B. Arthur? And in fact, you worked with B. Arthur on Golden Girls. You were in Golden Girls twice as two yeah. different characters. Yeah. Uh, Isaac Newton, you, you dated Rose, Betty White. It's such a funny episode. Um, and then you came back for a very interesting kind of spinoff. It was, it was the baby version of Empty Nest before, yeah. before they fully fleshed it out. And you did that with Rita Moreno. Yeah. And what happened was, uh, I guess when the pilot was finished, they showed it to the networks or whatever. In those days, it was all networks. But nobody bought it, so they kind of put it on the shelf. And a year later, they revived it and decided they used their old friend Richard Mulligan, who had been on soap with the same people, right. with Susan and all those people. And that's how it worked out. The funny thing was, when I did it, it was an empty nest, but in the pilot, the college girl comes home to live with us. So the whole point of it is... <laughs> Empty nest means they're gone. Yeah, right. and I think his daughters live nearby in the eventual version of it. Yeah, but uh, he was a wonderful actor, and so it didn't matter. You know, it's one of the vagaries. Of, I didn't care if I was in that or something else because you keep busy. But you got to work with B. Arthur on stage, and then again on a on a film set, which obviously I mean you wrote for Golden Girls season one. How was it like working with her, and how was her approach uh, different uh, on set and on stage? Well, the, the thing you can most say about B, and he knows this very well, is she doesn't suffer fools gladly. You know, <laughs> she can be considered a very tough cookie. And you may have been there. She never liked to wear shoes. And I, I heard, told that story. Yes. <laughs> Her feet scared me. There were hair growing up. Oh, God. Bunions for toes. There you go. And I, heard, I heard a story recently where in a rehearsal, she, she lies down on a bed with one of the characters, you know, just to chat or something. And the director had to say to her, the bottoms of your feet are black. <laughs> oh, my God, how embarrassing. How do you tell B. Arthur that? Well, you girl. Yeah. I guess you do. Get the sander out. you work with her every day. <laughs> but the point is, it wasn't on camera, but it was. Right. Uh, but she hated shoes. Uh, she, I happen to get along really well with her, but I knew she hates certain people. Yeah, with her, I've heard it like she either loved you or yeah. she just did not. Yeah, and obviously she, one she of had the most... standards, but... She had the greatest deadpan comedy, oh, the greatest yes. withering look of anybody. Well, that's when we discovered that we wouldn't have to write a word. All we had to do in the first season was have her give that look. It was yeah. like, boom, we're so lucky, let's go home. Yeah. And in Maud, and you as a writer, you're like, writer's block, uh, yeah. B looks at the camera, next well, page. Well, but we had to discover that the first season. Yeah. And when we did, no, then you was, just rely on it. Yeah, but how, audiences loved it. What other yeah. actor could just shoot a look and you get a laugh? Very, I can't think very, of, very few people can do good. that. And then Maud, she used to say to uh, her husband, God will get you for this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and she used that same deadpan look, you know, she was great. One of the reasons I appreciate her, because I tend to be a deadpan actor. I play grumpy fathers, and, and I use um, underplaying as a thing, you know, it becomes a thing I do. Well, if, if you look up all the reviews for your performances, whether it's been on stage or uh, in TV and film, Everybody, the, the reviews are just unanimous. Is that you bring so much by bringing so little? Like you don't have to do this big performance. You're very an understated actor, and I think a lot of people resonate with that, and it comes across so naturally and so relatable. Yes, I think you just yeah. feel like at home with you. Well, the people I relate to and admire uh, are people like, uh, as comedians, Bob Newhart, who never seems to be trying hard. Right, and uh, I love uh, Anthony Hopkins, who very simple. And uh, Jack Benny, who did very little, and he stared at the audience. He could do what B could do mm. sometimes. I love minimalism and underplaying and all that. And I hate people who hit the audience over the head with the other drama or comedy and 
you know, like they're forcing them. They're too stupid to catch it, catch on unless you do a lot. And have you done Shakespeare and something that would be, have to be bigger? Uh, I've never done Shakespeare except in high school. But when I joined Second City, they had a, a form there where we all sat in chairs in a, a semicircle and we were the poet's corner. The audience gave us a first line and we made up a poem. Well, as soon as I started, I wasn't sure what style I should use, so I started doing uh, fake Shakespeare, and I found that I could talk, so it sounded like iambic pentameter. Oh I don't wow. Who can do that? I know. Paul well, Dooley, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but the point is, I don't even really know what iambic is, but I know hmm. that it seemed to scan. And if I was doing a line, just making something up, and I felt it wasn't going to scan, I used to use the word now, then, or who, or whatever, yeah. words that could mean anything, anywhere, and it, it worked out well. And so over time in different improv companies, I've probably done it a thousand times. Now, how did you use that understated approach, though? Because uh, you were a stand-up comic for about five years. In fact, you, you ended up on The Tonight Show with your stand-up comedy. Well, it was at a time when Mike and Elaine were coming into prominence, Newhart, Shelley Berman, Lenny Bruce around that time. But the, some of them were called, especially... Newhart, and especially Mike and Elaine, intellectual comics, well, there was just, they worked with ideas that were a little bit more lofty than your average low-down comic. So uh, I tended to be more an actor than a guy who was a joke teller, like a joke after joke after joke. Yeah. So I would do short one-man sketches that were, you know, three or four minutes long. I did a Shakespeare parody playing all the parts, and, you know, I did a lot of different odd things. Uh, but because someone saw me, a little club with a gay, gay clientele in the village called uh, uh, the Bonsoir. <laughs> that is the gayest name I ever. <laughs> I have that tattooed somewhere in my that body, but on, I won't tell you where. <laughs> that was on, uh, I think, uh, 4th Street or 6th Street in the village. I don't know if it's still there. But uh, it's not. Instead of an. Bonsoir. I, 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 I've heard. It's not. <laughs> You've read about it. Yeah. His number's on the wall. <laughs> no, it's just that uh, most nightclubs, guys, people come there to get drunk or to get laid on the way home or whatever. <laughs> And they're very noisy. And they Why are you looking at me? Yeah. <laughs> How rude. I recognize you from the Bonsoir. Yeah. <laughs> from the Bonsoir. Once. Okay. However, I went there once. Okay. He wasn't, he wasn't allowed Once back. in college. That's yeah, all. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, they were very attentive and they were treated like a theater. And I was there one week and Streisand, who wasn't discovered yet, was there the next week at the Bonsoir. So I did very good. Somebody saw me. I did the Tonight Show a few times. This is Jack Barr. But uh, I always like underplaying. So even my nightclub comedy was underplayed. But I, I like to do parodies of Shakespeare. I'll just give you a little line from my I show. would love it. Yeah. I've done it maybe easily a thousand times. And uh, every time I got stuck, even improvising as a monologue, you suddenly don't know what to say next. So I used to grab a Shakespearean phrase that most people know and say it and then hunt for a rhyme while they were re reacting mm -hmm. to it. And, of course, um, Hamlet hates his uncle who married his father and all that. So I said one night, hey, nanny, nanny, hey, nanny, no. <laughs> my uncle's a king, my uncle's the king, and my mother's a hoe. <laughs> and I did a lot of, lot of things like that. I guess you can say these words, but uh, I'm, I did it once and kept improving on my little improv. And finally it came to a thing where I say to Claudius the king, oh, uncle in his life, you did envy him, his wife. But more than that, you also had a bone on for the throne on which you sat. <laughs> That's genius. Stan's going to steal all this. You know that. He's writing down. a play tomorrow yeah, right. based on this. Anyway, I have some of that in my show. Another one was, uh, alas, Bjorik. I knew him, Horatio. He told me jokes. We did fellatio. <laughs> 
at the bone spot. In that <laughs> millisecond, I said, there's no rhyme for a ratio, exactly. but wait. <laughs> but I found it all by accident, but I love that stuff. And what made you do a friend show? My daughter, who is 30 and who is uh, fabulously gay, uh, did a show that, that she wrote. She's a young writer. And like her mother, she's extremely good at it. Uh, so Savannah, right? Yes, yeah, Savannah. Yeah. She says, you should do The Fringe. I said, well, I don't know. They're all millennials, so they're going <laughs> to know who I am. Of Hello? <laughs> of course they will. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I did it because she suggested it. And I was originally planning to maybe take it to another theater, but now I'm going to move on and probably find another theater in town that might want to do it. But uh, Savannah, who wrote a, uh, a short series with her mother, 10 episodes called Huge, about a weight loss camp. ABC Family. Yep. ABC yeah, Family. Yeah, it was great. With, it was uh, great. Yeah. With, uh, I watched a few. I cried. I cried a few times the as a husky from, man. From well, Harrisburg, right? Yeah, Harris. What's yeah. her name? Nikki Blonsky. Nikki yeah. Blonsky yeah. was a star. Nikki Arnstein. They wrote it together, and she was a co-exec, my daughter. She's about 27 or something. But now she's going into this new picked-up Nashville. Because oh, yeah. Nashville was dropped, right. yeah, then and picked up, but when it was not yet dropped, they hired. They, I guess the must they got rid of, or the people left, the showrunners, and the writing staff, and they brought in Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskovitz, right. Richard Kramer, and Richard Kramer, yeah. a wonderful writer, wonderful and, person, and all right. knew my wife from thirty something right. and so called life and all that. So then uh, my daughter goes in for a meeting, and they know who she is. They knew her when she's four years old. <laughs> she used to come to the set on The So-Called Life and play an extra. But you don't get a job because your mother's worked for them before. So she, she knocked it out of the ballpark in the room. She had ideas, and they liked her, and she's hired as a new writer. And then they canceled it, and then they picked it up, and now they picked it up for 22. Wow. Which is amazing. Yeah. And nobody picks up anything up no. for 22. <laughs> So she's headed in that direction now. She's going to start writing for that. And she's just a great, very talented girl. I just have to tell a quick story about your wife, uh, Winnie Holtzman. Wildly talented, my so-called life, uh, 30-something. Wicked. And wicked. Hello. So, Mr. Dooley, the way we met, uh, we were invited to an exclusive Stephen Schwartz. It was like only about 100 people in the audience for Princess Cruises. And it was... Um, uh, a kickoff. For yeah. His, he's going to write something kind of wicked-related. Uh, uh, for cruises, you know, with new songs and some old songs, some of the show, songs from the show. But it was a very festive thing. Oh, it was a it was a great event. Uh, yeah. One of the Callaway sisters uh, sang. Stephen oh. Schwartz played the piano. He yeah. played Metal Lark, and it's like, yeah. oh my god! But it, it was great. I was starstruck when you walked in because I've been a fan forever, from Sixteen Candles to the Christopher Guest films, and I was like, oh my god, that's Paul Dooley. And I sat next to this charming woman. And somehow, you know, Wicked came up, and I'm like, you know, you heard that they're doing a film. And she was like, oh, yes, I, I know. <laughs> so then I went in, and I told her about my ideas of what the film should, oh, no. like, focus on, on, the, on the young girls Stop as Alexander. young girls, whatever. And I'm giving her my opinion, and I'm going on and on about the musical, everything good. But it was just, like, what I really wanted the film to be. And then she, she was so polite and just so heartwarming and so gracious. And then I was like, okay, you know, dessert was here. So I was like, okay, yeah. stop talking, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, I was next to Jill Whelan from Love Boat because she also was the MC. She's like, you know who that is, don't you? And she's like, that's Winnie Holtzman. I'm like, oh my God. You need a who wrote Wicked? You need a handler when you go out. Seriously. Oh my God. Well, they or did a, have free wine. Or, they had wine. Or a sponsor, was... I think, would be probably more appropriate. I have, do you know how many AA meetings I've gone to? Okay. And I'm like, let's all go party, everybody. I think, I think the next one's going to click. I really do. I have hope for you. I'm literally there for the donuts, though, to be honest. You're there to pick up somebody. But she was just so gracious. I mean, who's this, like, this idiot guy is telling his opinion about her? Uh, 
piece. She, she's never the type is just going to announce that she's she, written. She never even said it. She never said, oh, well, you know, yeah. I'm writing. And then Stephen Schwartz came and sat in my seat, and he was started eating my dessert. And so I decided to make a joke, and I'm like, uh, excuse me, I don't know who you think you are, but you're eating my dessert. He didn't laugh. He just looked uh, at me and went back to talking. I was like, oh, God. I was not scoring high that night. Um, but you and I got to, got to share a, a few moments, and you told me one of the funniest stories uh, about your filming Waiting for Government because you almost were not in it. He wanted me to be the mayor, which was played by Larry... I forget now. I'm old. Uh, he's a friend of mine, too, but I've forgotten. He's in all of them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, so I was on Grace Under Fire as a semi-regular, recurring, as a Grace... Uh, I know there's stories there. Grace's boss, yeah. Yeah, she made me touch her breasts once when she got them <laughs> augmented. Was that the I first did. time for you, Stan? It was, and it was frightening. <laughs> it was in the Carsey Warner kitchen. Yeah. I'm sure you remember well, she used that. to, That's hygienic. She yeah. used to pull up her T-shirt at any moment with tons of Yeah, in front of, of the kids, yeah. Yeah. That's nice. You want to see my new... Yeah, uh, and finally enjoy, enjoy your meal. Uh, and finally, the parents of one of the kids got him out of the contract. Yeah, they said, "Well, you can't go. He's as a contract." Is yeah. Well, you want to have a lawsuit about you know child molestation or something? So they let him go. But uh, yeah, I forget what we were talking about. But uh, oh, Grace under fire. Oh yes, for government. No, so no, no. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I said I'd love to be in it, but I, I, they won't. I said. Can I get off for two weeks? Uh, we don't know what the scripts are going to be like. Maybe, maybe not. So you have to stay. So what they have is a five or eight out of 13 contract. And, and they, you're in eight of them or they pay you for eights if you're not. So I couldn't be in it. And then he called me one day and they said, can you come down for the weekend? It'll just be one day, one scene. I said, sure. So I did that. And I, I got there and I said, uh, what's it about? He said, uh, just uh, talk about being abducted 40 years ago. And before I left, my wife says, uh, remember to mention that you were probed. <laughs> so I made a, a festival of probing <laughs> jokes. And you get the picture. They came in pairs and singles and groups and probing. And we all know what it means. And the last line was, uh, even today. Yes, I love this line. <laughs> even today at twilight, which is when I was abducted 40 years ago, I still get this tingling in my buttocks. <laughs> And the way you say it, and I will tell you, Mr. Dooley, that line is very popular in West Hollywood. People say, about this time, I get that feeling in my buttocks. I'm not even kidding you. And now, that was their idea. I improvised a little more. That was their idea of when to end it, because it's a laugh. Yeah. But the way I ended it was more subtle, but I liked it, too. I said, looking back on the experience, I can't say it was... Uh, Unpleasant thing. <laughs> the way of saying people like still it. say that in West Hollywood too. <laughs> your your friends do. Well, yeah, yeah but uh, I, I admire Chris very much. He's so bright, and you know when he did uh, uh, what's the name of the the guy who's the choreography played? Is it Sparky or Squeaky or you in, in Waiting for Guffin? Yeah, Corky. Corky. Corky St. Clair. Yeah, uh, Robin in the Nest. And the, Robin in the Nest. And yes. the Tons people say. He's married, but I've never met his wife. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I was shopping for Bonnie. Yeah. The pantyhose section. He picks out all her clothes. Do you know that Christopher Guest almost edited himself out of the first cut? Really? Yeah. He said, you know, people don't want to see me and I'm not that funny. And the studio said, what are you are doing? You kidding? So they made him cut himself back into, into the show. Yeah. And the funny thing is he plays, obviously, this very gay character. But it's not the kind of character that... Uh, that you could expect somebody might have to say he's making fun of, mm -hmm. of the of the character. 
Nobody cared. It was perfect. Oh, it was spot it was so on. subtle and so real. And the community theater, like him trying to raise money, he's like, "Well, I'm gonna bite my pillow." Yeah. Um, we just have to take a, a, a quick detour because we're all, we're almost out of time. Can you imagine? Where is it? Jimmy McGill, you have been so quiet, and we need to oh, this is highlight. It is, but we I also mean, just, just your voice alone. Just his presence alone. Yeah. Hello, Deep Space Nine. Well, I'm a huge Trekkie. I didn't bring presents, so don't worry. <laughs> I felt bad because I was like, uh, I don't have tea, I don't have pizza. I, it was like just water. Yeah, vodka. Yeah, well, and, and yes, and lube. Yeah. Uh, so, Jimmy McGill, you are a returning sponsor. I'm very happy to say with Glitterati Tours. Glitterati sounds like the gay Illuminati, so I love that. You know, it's like the gay uh, mafia. I don't even know how I picked that name out. Oh, it just please. Seemed, it just please. That work. was your drag name, we know. <laughs> how did you start Glitterati Tours? Uh, I've always been fascinated with Hollywood. You know, growing up, first place, 15 and a half years old, got my driver's permit. Folks from Minnesota, relatives would come out, wanted to see the prostitutes on Sunset Boulevard. That's what I did. Took them out, drove right through Beverly Hills, didn't know what I was doing. I started to showcase the city when I was, again, 15 and a half, 16 years old. And love it. LA's only getting better, so I've got one of the best jobs in the world. And your tour is very different in that it's not like on a bus with like a loudspeaker. It's like in an SUV. It's a luxury experience. This is very discreet, so Stan. Thank you. In my not, neighborhood. We will not go by your house. Well, okay. I, wa I want you to go by I'll my I'll give house. you his address. I he'll can, he'll I come out sell, in that t-shirt. Oh, I can sell t-shirts. We can find and it. And Paul, what's your address? They'll be, they'll be at your house next. Yeah. <laughs> I live in Toluca Lake, but I won't tell you where. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a hotbed. Yeah. But uh, I haven't met her yet, but the wonderful Melissa McCarthy just got a house there. She uh, did. She's wonderful. You need to go over like with a pie. Well, she's not eating nowadays, so uh, I, I worked on Gilmore Girls with her, and she's absolutely wonderful. She came back for the reunion, by the way. Yes, I. I oh yeah, you you know everything. You never tell me anything because you know my mouth is big. <coughs> I'm a, I'm a scholar for great comedy. I think she's a genius. Yeah. She's not yeah. just funny. A lot no. of people are funny. Yeah, but she's, she's smart, too. Yeah. And Well, you know comedy needs to be smart for it to be funny. I had a wonderful little New Year's with Melissa and her husband. Shut up! There Why was wasn't I invited? seven of us. Ben, yeah. So, you, yes. so yeah. you know, now as a sponsor, I get invited to all these events. Well, I, that was a special invite for me, so that was an amazing night. I'm such a wonderful woman. What I love about your company is that there's so many tours going on, from Redline to to you, you to the TMZ. Uh, not only do you offer a luxury experience, it's kind of tailor made to to what the client wants, yeah. and it's downtown Beverly Hills. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, but your tour guides mm. really have like a personal connection with the group. They're not just like rote. Every one of them is an actor. I slept with a one writer. of them just by just so you know. I think oh. I know which one. Yeah. Okay, but we're not saying where won't, where <laughs> won't you go in LA. Uh, we don't East go to, LA. We don't go to East LA. We don't go to South Central. I think you need to start that. Yes. Oh, believe me, we get a lot of requests. We had a, a, a billionaire from Ohio one day who wanted us to drive through Skid Row to show his kids what would happen oh, if okay. they didn't work hard. <laughs> Very effective. Um, but you've been awarded Circle of Excellence with TripAdvisors uh, over and over again. Yep. Um, where, where can people find out more about your tours? Glitteratitours.com. And you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you're everywhere. We, we do a lot of social media. You have to. Like I said, I thought you were going to be like a little leprechaun guy when you came in, and I'm so glad you're not, and I would like a personal tour. You, know, <clears throat> you mentioned Red Line. It's the first club Streisand sang in in New York on, um, I forget the name of the street. Where's the Stonewall? What's the name of that street? Christopher. Christopher. Yeah, I think. And I've I heard. think next door to Christopher is the Red Line, another yeah. gay club, and that's the first place she sang for nothing. Wow. We got oh, one now in downtown LA called the Red Line. Oh, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I cannot believe that another episode has come and gone. How's that possible? We have to wrap up or else I'm going to get in trouble. But Mr. Dooley, you've been nominated twice for an Emmy. Just real, just, I hate to say briefly, but what's that like to go to the Emmys, know that you're being nominated for your body of work? Like wh- that tingle when they're starting to announce who's nominated. That tingle I got at Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> at the phone spa. <laughs> On one of them, I didn't go to the thing, and they had a separate thing for supporting guest actors on Dream On, where I played a, a, a gay, a gay father who came out at sixty, and yes. Brian Ben Ben, and I got nominated because they wrote a great scene that was Martha, um, uh, uh, who are they, uh, Martha Kaufman, yeah, yeah, and her partner, David Crane, David, yeah, uh, they were the head writers, they were the producers, and all that. Is he came out, and they wrote such a poignant, funny scene, but sad. He's saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm living with some guy. He bought me slippers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm enjoying it. He's, I'm sorry if I disappointed you. But it's so sweet and so gay-friendly. In the meantime, it's hilarious. And he says, are you gay? And I said, no, I'm not gay. He says, oh, I thought, you know, you and your roommate, maybe he was, well, you know, if, you're, um, if you want to make a point of it. What do you mean make a point <laughs> of it? And I said, so what is gay? I said, uh, uh, if I uh, see a football player in a tight pair of pants, I, th- I think that looks nice. Is that gay? <laughs> and if I see an ad of underwear in a magazine and it, yeah, I kind of like it, is that gay? Said, yeah, yeah, that is gay. I said, all right, label me. I'm a gay man. You happy now? I said, no, I'm not happy now. But it was really sweet, really sweet and funny and well-written. That's the key to everything. Well, you have to come back for Paul Dooley Part 2 because we didn't even get into the TV stuff at all. Alf, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Bewitched, Get Smart. So many I- iconic, A Deep Space Nine. I just want to remind them that uh, I have three shows left at the French Festival. I was just going to say. Yeah. What theater? And it's uh, it's uh, Sacred Fools Theater has a second theater called right. Second Lillian. Stage. Second Stage uh, yeah. on Santa Monica Boulevard. And Lillian yeah. Lillian And Way. there are three shows. And uh, it's uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And that to be at the end of it. But anyone's invited. And there's actually a snippet on YouTube uh, from the show, and you just you just have to go you have to go see it. Uh, I'm going to go see it. Uh, you're so delightful. So many stories. Uh, oh, there are things you never even knew about me. They're, they're like I mean, dramatic stuff, serious, dark side stuff. Too. Yeah, like dark, dark side, like Popeye. Yeah, <laughs> That's a no, dark. I mean not films, but just yeah. my life, my real life. So uh, go see it. Three shows left. Uh, you have to come back t- to the show. And I promise I'll have tea and pizza next time. Okay. <laughs> okay. Paul Dooley, people can find Paul Dooley at the uh, Paul Dooley on Twitter. Uh, you're on Facebook. Oh, no, you, you don't have a fa- Paul Dooley, where's your fan page on Facebook? I have no idea. Okay, well, it I has to come. Do, I don't do Get any it of that started. nonsense. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> nonsense. I'm only on Twitter because somebody put me there. Yes. No, but it's because no. you have like pictures there, and it's a great way to interact. So, yeah. At the I Paul have a Dooley. website called Paul Dooley Actor, so that has a lot. And there's fun pictures and clips and your oh, bio. All kind of stuff. Awesome. All right, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy McGill. Where yes. can where can oh, our listeners Jimmy find Jimmy you? <laughs> Glitteratitours.com. Awesome. I would love to get a bunch of my past guests to go on a tour. Wouldn't that be it. fun? You got it. And, and we'll webisode it. With with rocks. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. And sparkly. I'm not driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call we'll have an Uber. We'll yeah. have an Uber tour. Oh, wait, I will yes, drive. Driver. We've got airbags. Oh, there you go. <laughs> 
Honey, I got airbag built in. Okay. <laughs> Stan Zimmerman. Yes, sir. Uh, always such a, such a pleasure always, to have you on. Always. Because you ask smart questions where oh. I'm like, uh, let's party, Paul Dooley. And you're like, no, let's talk about your career. Okay. Where, where can my <laughs> listeners find you? Uh, ZimmermanStan.com, everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Love my pictures and uh, enjoy it. Awesome. 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 And then you can find me. I'm also on After Buzz TV on Sunday nights. Uh, and our, our media sponsors, The Friend Movement, they're doing a Feed the Homeless event uh, June 25th. Go to friendmovement.com for more information. But you get together, it's networking, and you literally go feed boxed meals to the homeless. Um, so that that's a great also my sister uh, show that also does free media for me Left to Straight go to leftistraight.com uh, Scott Fullerton does a great uh, weekly show he's got great guests he's the more serious side of, of what I do uh, Kurt as always thank you so much uh, coming up we have Tara Reid is coming on the show Corey Feldman uh, Joanne Worley's coming on uh, there's a lot of good stuff happening. Do you want to come on for the Joanne Worley? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. she's crazy. Oh, my God. Okay. I love you, listeners. Thank you so much. Follow me on everything. See you next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs> This has been On the Rocks with Alexander, every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Universal Broadcasting Network. Find me on Facebook on On the Rocks Radio Show. Tweet me or Instagram me at On the Rocks On Air. See you next Tuesday! <laughs>